Section 17 of The Lives of the Queens of England, Volume 8, by Agnes and Elizabeth Strickland. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Henrietta Maria, Chapter 5, Part 2. Although the household of Queen Henrietta was thus magnificently arranged, she had long given up all splendor of dress. She never left off the sable garb she wore for King Charles, and her pictures represent her in widow's weeds. The plainness of her attire, after she returned to England, is noted by that quaint oddity, Pepys, in terms of disparagement and disappointment, when he describes a visit to Whitehall to gaze on the royal family. Mr. Fox came in presently, and did take my wife and I to the Queen's presence chamber, where he got my wife placed behind the Queen's chair, and the two princesses came in to dinner. The Queen is a very little plain old woman, and nothing more in her presence or garb than in any ordinary woman. Several portraits are extant of the once lovely daughter of Henri Cotte, in the plain black dress with the widow's veil, which she wore after the death of her husband. There is one painting at Chateau Dieu in this morning, which represents her with her beauty scarcely faded. Even under the iron rule of Cromwell, engravings were published of the royal widow in her weeds. One of these is a good likeness, representing her in the black veil with its triangular frontlet, a straight white cape, but one jewel formed in a cross and a black dress. It is the frontispiece of a cookery book, a great curiosity, called the Queen's Closet Broke Open. The publisher has fearlessly put his name and address. Much praise is bestowed on the widowed queen's virtues and skill in medicine and cookery, which were more likely to interest in her favor the middle classes of England than commendations on her courage and magnanimity, especially as on the title page it is affirmed that some of the recipes had been honored by Her Majesty's own personal practice in her leisure hours. When these occurred, the author, who pretends to be one of her household, does not say, and we can assure our readers that the assertion is an audacious bookseller's puff. Several posets and plague-waters are in the work, sanctioned by the queen's name, and many strange and barbarous compounds quoted as her favorite dishes. There is another portrait of Henrietta, completely in sable weeds, with merely a small fold of white lawn round the throat, her hair is in full ringlets, but wholly enveloped in crepe. As soon as her reconciliation with the Duke and Duchess of York was effected, Queen Henrietta, in mortal terror lest the smallpox should destroy the life or beauty of her only remaining daughter, hurried that darling of her heart from the infected metropolis to Hampton Court. She waited there till Parliament had settled on the Princess Henrietta a marriage portion of 40,000 Jacobuses, accompanied with a gift of twenty thousand pounds as an outfit the king attended his royal mother and sister to portsmouth where they embarked on a first-rate man-of-war the london january ninth sixteen sixty sixty one a train of disasters as usual attended her voyage the queen sailed from portsmouth the following day the Princess Henrietta was very ill, which was attributed to sea sickness, but the next day a violent eruption appeared with all the symptoms of the smallpox, and the Queen recalled, in agony, how lately she had lost two of her children with the same malady. The Princess grew worse every moment, and the Queen insisted on returning to Portsmouth. Her terrors regarding her child's illness were soon varied by apprehension of losing her by drowning, for the pilot, or the Earl of Sandwich, 
who commanded the london ran the vessel on the horse sand near portsmouth where she grounded the queen positively refused to leave the ship till she saw what turn the illness of the princess would take the physician soon after declared that the princess might land for her illness was not the smallpox but a bad attack of measles during the recovery of the princess the queen remained with her at portsmouth Pere cyprian was in the queen's suite and ought to have given the best account of all these adventures but the whole soul and intellect of the father was intent upon a conversion at portsmouth it seemed in his eyes of more consequence than the safety of the london her majesty his royal pupil the admiral the crew and passengers including himself he had almost persuaded the clergyman of one of the churches at portsmouth to declare himself a catholic and to forsake his wife and family assuring him that the queen would allow him as a proselyte to her faith a handsome pension nothing could be more mischievously mad than for her to do any such thing or even for it to be talked of or hinted at that she was likely or willing to do so it is an instance which illustrates the causes of the extreme unpopularity of queen henrietta in england however the proselyte altered his mind and the queen was not tempted to commit so notorious a wrong as to pension a renegade clergyman of the church of england out of the dower she received from the country the queen was forced to abide at portsmouth a fortnight before she could re-embark without danger of injuring the princess it was the twenty sixth of january before they sailed and this time they accomplished the voyage very happily and soon arrived at havre it was the intention of the queen to pass through rouen but the government sent word on their approach that the smallpox was raging there like a pest and that many persons died of that disease daily at first the queen was disposed to think that the governor sent this message to spare himself the trouble and expense of entertaining royal guests but on inquiry she found it was a salutary warning which probably had saved the life of the daughter who was so precious to her the queen therefore took her route towards pontois but on the road the duke of longueville the governor of normandy held her at the head of a squadron of horse composed of the flower of the norman nobility he escorted her majesty to a chateau of his own at some distance from the infected city of rouen and there he entertained her most splendidly the times were changed since this prince and his party of the fronde had besieged henrietta in the louvre and caused her and the very princess who accompanied her to suffer cold and hunger queen henrietta held a grand court at the chateau de longueville where was presented to her many of the norman nobles and their ladies the president of rouen craved an audience and made her a very elegant harangue to which says pere gamache her majesty listened with the utmost attention and having a ready wit and great presence of mind she made him a prompt and judicious answer in the course of which she recommended to his attention some differences between the civil authorities and the capuchins of his province of course if this was the theme of her majesty's discourse it would appear to possess the elegance of an angel to the mind of father cyprian it will however be owned that the power of answering gracefully and promptly to an address is one of the most valuable qualifications a royal personage can possess the president of rouen having promised her majesty his favorable attention to her proteges the capuchins she was conducted to her coach with great state the duke of longueville and the cavaliers of the haute noblesse of normandy rode by her coach a day's journey on the way to pontois 
here she had consented to accept the hospitality of her lord almoner montague who was abbot of pontois the queen was astonished at the grandeur with which her almoner performed his hospitalities neither she nor her retinue could sufficiently admire his plate his pictures his jewels his hangings and the fine banquet spread for them but it soon appeared that queen henrietta and her daughter were not the only royal guests expected a mighty flourish of trumpets kettle-drums and cymbals was heard and soon after louis the fourteenth and his queen marie therese with the duke of orleans alighted at the abbey and came to welcome queen henrietta and the princess the king and queen of france remained conversing alone with her majesty the queen of england till evening as pere cyprian and as to monsieur the duke of orleans he deemed himself in paradise when he saw our princess henrietta whom he tenderly loved and whom he considered as his future spouse he had suffered much from grief and apprehension during her absence he had been troubled with insomnolences agitations of the heart and the greatest anguish when her life was in danger it would seem whether to test his affection or from some other reason not explained that the unfortunate lover had been kept in suspense and was not informed that his princess accompanied her mother father cyprian describes his demeanor as if he were very desperately enamored indeed he stood at first with his eyes intently fixed on the princess henrietta as if he knew not how to believe that he saw her and expected her to vanish from his sight at last he recovered himself kissed her and spoke to her and after some time he begged to learn from her own lips all the particulars of her voyage and he listened with great pleasure and rapt attention to all her adventures and we must say that we are and so no doubt are all our readers excessively angry with father cyprian that he did not journalize these adventures of his royal patronesses instead of unsettling the creed of the portsmouth clergyman the queen received the pope's brevi of dispensation to authorize the marriage of her daughter to her nephew orlan towards the end of lent the recent deaths in her family made the queen desire that the nuptials should be quietly performed at her own private chapel in the palais royal the marriage took place march thirty first sixteen sixty one with as little pomp as was consistent with the presence of the illustrious guests who assisted at the ceremony these were louis the fourteenth his consort and royal mother the grand conde was likewise queen henrietta's guest on this occasion to her deep sorrow she found that the duke of orleans a few days after his marriage insisted on withdrawing his bride to his own residence first to the tuileries then to fontainebleau this thing was only just and according to the law of god observes father cyprian nevertheless the separation which tore asunder this royal mother and daughter was attended with more anguish than the occasion seemed to warrant the princess had in a manner been brought up in her mother's bosom and the adversity they had encountered together had made them inexpressibly dear to each other but there was more anxiety at the heart of the mother than arose from mere parting when her daughter departed with the royal family to pass the summer at fontainebleau queen henrietta retired to her favorite chateau of cologne situated on the river seine a few miles from paris madame de motteville gives the reason of the grief with which queen henrietta parted from her daughter 
without doing or even thinking of evil the young duchess of orleans plunged giddily into the vortex of dissipation that the court of louis the fourteenth presented she was seen as the leader of every mask at every ball at every hunting party and especially at some nightly promenades which gave great displeasure to the two queens of france in a little time both her health and her respectability were somewhat injured by this thoughtless career the duke of orleans her adoring husband in whom the mischief had originated by withdrawing her from the care of her mother before she was of age to understand how to guide her course now manifested great uneasiness at her conduct alarmed at these sinister reports queen henrietta begged madame de motteville to keep a watch over her daughter and on this matter that lady says by a letter that i received from the queen of england her uneasiness was perceptible as to what passed at fontainebleau and that the queen mother of france was ill satisfied at the conduct of madame d'orlans i have taken care of all the letters that this great queen did me the honour to write to me which are all marked with the goodness and beauty of her mind queen henrietta it is true was so long habituated to speak english that her french diction was a little vitiated but her kindness and good sense are always intelligible queen henrietta maria to madame de motteville i believe that in your soul you say as to this queen of england she has wholly forgotten me that is not the case monsieur de montague will tell you how often and affectionately i have thought of you but as to your letters i have to avow idleness at the same time i acknowledge that i was wrong not to have expressed to you the satisfaction i had at the receipt of your two letters and if you have leisure i ask the continuation having seen yesterday ladies who came direct from fontainebleau who tell me that you are always engaged near the queen and that it is not possible to have access to you i fear as much from not receiving any letters by them as by the matter of which they hint if you have plenty of news where you are there is complete silence here silence is certainly proper to remember one's friends in i am persuaded you reckon yourself among the number and can be assured that you will thus continue you have with you another little self of mine who is strongly your friend i assure you continue so to both that is enough to say to you from henriette marie this was written from cologne apparently early in june 1661 before the end of the summer however the queen mother of france anne of austria sent for the abbe montague and for german earl of st albans and complained to them very harshly on the subject of their young princess she bade them tell their queen of england that she ought to keep no measures when reproving her the queen of england pursues madame de motteville led a sweet and easy life at cologne she sought for nothing but peace and now declared that knowing the good disposition in the soul of her henrietta she did not expect any ill from her actions for she believed them exempt from any intention of evil certainly in this matter the folly rested with those who placed an inexperienced child of sixteen in so difficult a station the queen had been very unwilling to give up the guidance of her daughter and worse results might have taken place queen henrietta was always honored and beloved in her own country in the midst of her adversities she had possessed great influence in france she did not lose it of course when her fortunes improved she was invited to stand sponsor for the infant dauphin the eldest child of louis the fourteenth and maria therese of spain 
the dauphin being born on all saints day the first of november she gave him at the font the quaint addition of toussaint to the name of louis in the spring of sixteen sixty two the queen received a long visit at cologne from the duke and duchess of orleans from thence they accompanied her on her way to england as far as beauvais there was a doleful parting here between the queen and her daughter for they both believed that her future residence would be lifelong in england queen henrietta proceeded to calais and the young duchess of orleans returned sorrowfully to paris england with all its sad reminiscences and religious enmity did not hold out a very inviting futurity to the widow of charles i yet she redeemed her promise of returning thither july twenty eighth sixteen sixty two she did not make the voyage without danger of her life from a violent storm her son charles the second whose marriage with catherine of braganza had lately taken place with his bride received and welcomed her at greenwich palace as the repairs of somerset house were not yet completed queen henrietta took up her abode in the old palace of greenwich then greatly dilapidated she was the last royal occupant it ever received the king sent for his mother from greenwich to join in the grand water procession which took place when his bride came in her barge down the thames from hampton court to take possession of her state palace of whitehall catherine of braganza was a daughter-in-law whose religion suited queen henrietta only too well consequently she lived in peace with her the duchess of york her other daughter-in-law was treated by her with amity she had lost her grandson the duke of cambridge but his loss she found replaced by the birth of a very lovely granddaughter mary afterwards elective queen regnant of great britain in the course of the summer queen henrietta took possession of her palace of somerset house to which she had made very splendid additions and restorations on this circumstance her former poet waller again brought his adulation to the feet of the queen his verses though inferior to his earlier poems are full of historical allusions great queen who does our island bless with princes and with palaces peace from this realm and you were gone your bowers were in the storm o'erthrown but true to england in your love as birds are to their wanton grove though by rude hands their nests are spoiled there the next spring again they build accusing some malignant star not britain for that fatal war a tradition is extant that the queen inheriting the practical taste for architecture which had caused her mother marie de medicis to design with her own hand the luxembourg palace had made original drawings of all the buildings she added to somerset house her majesty's chamber and closet at somerset house were considered remarkable for the beauty of the furniture and pictures the great stone staircase led down into the garden on the bank of the thames the echo on this stair if a voice sang three notes made many repetitions and then sounded them all together in concert this melodious echo was well adapted to the frequent concerts with which this musical queen made the somerset house palace resound henrietta had there a beautiful gallery which she had ornamented in the finest taste and evelyn mentions with admiration the grace of her manner when she crossed it to meet and thank him for a copy of one of his works which he had presented to her queen henrietta kept within her income she paid all her accounts weekly she had no debts she had as her contemporary biographer quaintly expresses it a large reputation for justice 
every quarter she dispersed the overplus of her revenue among the poor bountifully bestowing without consideration of difference of faith her favorite charity releasing debtors confined for small sums or for non-payment of fees likewise sending relief to those who were enduring great hardships in prison and prisons in that era were noxious with dirt and pestilence the health of queen henrietta began visibly to give way while in england the fogs of london had always affected her chest yet she confined her residence chiefly to london on account of her religious establishment woodstock where she had had a chapel and residence for her ecclesiastics had been desolated by the republicans perhaps on that account father cyprian thus mentions her in the spring of sixteen sixty four god had given to her generous spirit a body very frail and delicate the dreadful scenes she had passed through in life had exalted her courage and refined the qualities of her mind but at the same time had sapped and undermined her constitution the last time she returned to england the heaviness of the atmosphere made her who had so long respired the clear air of france cough extremely one year two years three years rolled away while she patiently endured these sufferings before she began to bethink herself of remedies at last she remembered that the waters of bourbon had always restored her to health but she was most unwilling to leave london lest her chapel should be closed against the catholic congregation who usually assembled there under her protection she had a conference with her son king charles she told him that she would soon recover if she went for a time to breathe her native air and seek health at the bourbon baths and she would do so if he would not close her chapel against his catholic subjects but if it was closed for one day on account of her departure she would stay and live as long as it pleased god and then die at the post of duty charles the second granted her request but infinitely bewailed the necessity of his separation from his dear and virtuous mother when she had obtained this permission she prepared to depart and ordered me father cyprian to attend as her chaplain and to choose another of my fraternity to assist me i chose the reverend father matteo of Auger, who had had the honor of preaching before her for two lengths in london to great satisfaction in fact he was her preacher after she went to france and as long as she lived a little before this great princess left london she bade me call together all our fraternity that they might learn her wishes from her own mouth as god had given her a mind prompt and acute with great facility of utterance she made off-hand a very fine speech in which she told them that she hoped by god's grace that her absence would not be long that her chapel was meantime to be open to english catholics as well as french that she took with her Père Cyprian and Père Matteo, but the rest of her religio were to stay in England, and that she charged them, as they would answer hereafter, to make the best use of their time in aiding the Catholics with the rites of their religion. Queen Henrietta left London, June 24, 1665, accompanied by the King, Queen Catherine, and most of the lords and ladies of their household, who sailed with her fifteen leagues, says father cyprian that is the court attended her to the buoy at the nur her son the duke of york escorted her to calais he was then the hero of the day having just returned triumphant from a victory over the dutch fleet from calais queen henrietta took her way direct to her chateau of cologne where the king and the queen of france came to welcome her with the greatest warmth her beloved daughter the duchess of orleans was not with the royal family she was ill and in danger of her life 
some person out of malice had informed her that her brother the duke of york had been beaten in his naval engagement and pierced to the heart at the stain of her family honour the young duchess fell into convulsions and was prematurely confined and lost her infant queen henrietta hastened to her and soon convinced her that her brother james had gained the greatest naval victory ever known having beaten the dutch invaders back to their coast destroyed many of their ships and taken twenty of them the queen after seeing her daughter out of danger departed for the baths of bourbon which had hitherto always proved successful in curing her maladies scarcely however had she arrived in france before the plague increased so terrifically in london that the week after her departure between four thousand and five thousand persons died of it in some alarm lest the pestilence should infect her palace of somerset house and spread by reason of the closely packed crowds that flocked to her chapel there she wrote to her capuchins to have the chapel closed but they returned an earnest supplication to her begging her not to impede their duty at this appeal the queen overcame her fears of infection and moreover dispersed vast sums in charity by the hands of her capuchins to alleviate the appalling miseries with which the poor of london were afflicted at this season of horror two of the queen's capuchins fell victims of their exertions father cyprian unfortunately for us leaves off journalizing the proceedings of his royal patroness to give memoirs of their lives and eulogize their labors in the plague-stricken metropolis the queen he resumes passed the autumn very peacefully at her chateau of cologne and the winter in the magnificent hotel de la balonere which louis the fourteenth had given her for her residence in paris the war in which england had engaged against france allied with holland gave queen henrietta the utmost uneasiness and with her confidant german earl of st albans who was resident ambassador from england she labored incessantly to avert it she often had interviews of mediation with her nephew louis the fourteenth this is apparent from the dispatches of lord hollis an envoy from england at this period i was yesterday says lord hollis in a letter to clarendon at cologne to take my leave of the queen mother the king of france that is louis the fourteenth came to cologne while i was in her presence at last he thought proper to notice me and gave me a little salute with his head and truly my lord i answered him with just such another because i know his ambassadors in england are welcomed in different style the great conde was likewise the visitor of henrietta maria at her country palace of cologne for the high-spirited ambassador who as the representative of england nodded to the king of france as unceremoniously as france nodded to him continues i did before him that is louis the fourteenth entertain myself all the while with the prince de conde who is very affectionate in all that concerns his majesty but this by the way soon after the king of france and the queen mother went alone into her bedchamber and our princess madame the young duchess of orleans went in after they had been there at least an hour when the king of france went away i had an interview with the queen mother afterwards and took the boldness to ask her how she found things she said they had been all the time within talking over these businesses of holland and that louis the fourteenth told her he had made king charles some propositions which were very fair ones which if he refused he must take part with the hollanders i asked the queen mother if she knew what these propositions were she said she did not 
but it seemed strange to me that the king kept them from her. Perhaps he did not, but she did not think it fit to acquaint me with them. The next morning, though pouring with wet, resumes Lord Hollis, the queen mother set off toward the baths of bourbon. Her health at that period began to decline. It was aggravated by her sorrow regarding the approaching war. One day she said to the Duke de Beaufort, who had returned from an unsuccessful diplomatic mission in London, to undertake a naval command, I ought to be afraid of you, now you are fighting against the English. Charles II took pleasure in speaking of his mother by the familiar name he had called her in his infancy. He mentions her thus in one of his letters to his sister, the Duchess of Orleans, March 22, 1669, saying, that a man of the name of Mercer, by whom she had sent letters and presents, had ventured from Hobb to England in an open shallop, and was drowned in the passage. I hear ma'am sent me a present by him, which I believe brought him the ill luck, so she ought in conscience to be at the charges of praying for his soul, for tis her bad fortune has caused the poor man's disaster. This letter, in which he alludes to the constant stormy weather that always attended his mother's voyages, was written but a few days before her health assumed alarming symptoms. Our queen, says Father Cyprian, was not destined to see the end of the year 1669. Ever since her return from her last sojourn in London, she had labored under complicated maladies, which caused her perpetual insomnolence and intense suffering. From time to time the baths of bourbon softened these pains, but did not cure them. Their paroxysms came nearer and nearer, till they defied relief. Yet the queen did not give way to sadness. She exhaled not her internal agonies, by plaints, by tears, or bad temper, like ordinary women. With the blood of the great Henry, she had inherited his high courage, excepting when sometimes the sharp pains she endured became apparent on her fine features. But she often said, that piteous complainings did no good in illness, and she did not wish to imitate ladies and damsels who cried and wept and lamented for a little pain in the head or a cut finger. Her daughter, the Duchess of Orleans, and the Duke, her husband, took the most lively interest in her health and were unremitting in their attendance on her person. At their united entreaty, she permitted the most able medical men in France to hold a consultation on her case and Monsieur Vallot, the first physician of Louis the Fourteenth, Monsieur Espoy, first physician to the Duke of Orleans, and Monsieur Julien to the Duchess, all met at the Chateau of Cologne, where Monsieur Daquin, physician to our Queen, introduced them into the chamber of Her Majesty. She explained to them her symptoms with great clearness, and desired her physician in ordinary to tell them the remedies he had applied for the shooting pains which deprived her of rest. Then Monsieur Vallot said, that by the grace of God, nothing very serious ailed her, that her malady was inconvenient, but not dangerous, and that to the prescription of Monsieur Daquin, he should add but three grains, which would give Her Majesty sleep and cure her disorder. When the Queen heard him talk of grains, she immediately suspected that he meant to prescribe opium, and she said positively that she would not take them for she knew by experience how noxious it was to her, and how ill it made her. Besides, her famous physician in England, Dr. Mayern, had warned her against taking any great dose of the kind. Her repugnance was, however, overruled by the united arguments of Monsieur Vallot and his medical brethren, all but the physician of the Duchess of Orleans, on whom the opinion of Mayern made some impression. 
Nevertheless, the result of the fatal consultation was that the queen was to take the grains at eleven o'clock that night. In the intermediate time, she went to supper as usual, for she was by no means confined to her bed, or even to her chamber, though much troubled with a pulmonary complaint and harassing cough. She was, however, better than usual that day. She conversed pleasantly, and even laughed several times at supper, which she ate with more appetite than usual. When she went to bed, she immediately fell into a sweet sleep. Nothing can be more absurd to wake a patient for the purpose of administering a sleeping potion, yet such was the case. The lady who slept in her majesty's chamber roused her at the hour indicated and gave her the prescription. A few minutes after the queen again sunk to sleep, and her attendant left her for repose, with the intention of waking her by daybreak to give her a draught, as directed by Dr. Vallot. Accordingly, the lady approached her bedside in the morning and asked her majesty, how she had passed the night. There was no reply. She spoke again louder, still no answer. Alarmed, she touched the queen. She moved not. She shook her, and made violent efforts to rouse her, but in vain, for she never awoke in this world. The affrighted lady leant down to her royal mistress, and fancied she heard low murmurs, sighs, and a labored respiration, upon which she flew to rouse the valet de chambre, to seek for medical and spiritual aid, to fetch the priests and physicians. We came first, continues the sorrowful Father Cyprian. The doctors soon followed. They felt her pulse and asked her many questions regarding her state, and we spoke to her of contrition for sin, of the love of God and confidence in his mercy, and we entreated her to make some sign that she heard us. But alas, a mortal silence was our only reply. The physicians affirmed that she still breathed, and was even sensible, but that a dull vapor, mounting to the brain, prevented all speech, that it would soon dissipate, and that she would manifest consciousness and speak. I believed them at first, continues the pair. But seeing that her awful quietude still continued, I sent in haste for Monsieur Le Cure of Cologne, and the sacrament of extreme unction being performed, she received the host without any difficulty, or the least convulsion of countenance, and soon after her slight respiration ceased and she rendered her soul to god undisturbed by a struggle a gentleman of her majesty's household immediately rode at fiery speed from cologne to saint germain to carry these fatal and most unexpected tidings to the duke of orleans who immediately accompanied him back hoping to have seen our queen alive after the duke had given the necessary orders he hurried to his own palace of saint cloud where his duchess was, to break to her and his daughter the fatal tidings. My pen fails to describe, says Père Cyprian, the violent grief of the Duchess of Orléans for a mother so loving and so beloved. And then the affectionate old priest proceeds to give the following character of the deceased. This great queen was indeed universally regretted, for she had established a real empire over all hearts, her cheerful temper, her gay and witty conversation, which enlivened all around her to her last hours, her graceful familiarity, and all these winning qualities, joined to a sincere piety, rendered her delightful to every one. The King of France regarded her, not only as his dear aunt, whom he had known from infancy, but as a real bond of peace between his country and Great Britain, and her son-in-law, his brother, the Duke of Orléans, convinced of her rare prudence and sagacity, consulted her on every affair of moment, and gave her his intimate confidence, as if she had been his real mother. 
such is the testimony of one who had been domesticated with henrietta for twenty-nine years it agrees exactly with that of madame de motteville her other friend it would seem that her character was peculiarly agreeable and estimable in private life no opposition or irritation regarding her religion ever occurred in her own country there was not to interrupt the serenity of her temper therefore her life flowed on brightly to the last many persons who abhor henrietta maria from the part she took in the civil war may condemn the praises bestowed by her french contemporaries as partial and flattering partial they certainly are for they were written by intimate friends whose love continued after her death flattering they cannot be for madame de motteville's memoirs which give such lively delineations of her character were never printed till her relatives of the third generation had passed away from this world flattery may be administered by memoirs in these times when works are printed before the ink of the manuscript is dry but when authors wrote them literally for the fourth generation why should they flatter the dull cold ear of death as for pere cyprian gamache his manuscript has never been printed nor does it seem that any eyes but these now guiding the pen have scanned the ancient yellow pages which dwell on the death and character of his beloved patroness the cause of the death of henrietta maria is mentioned by mademoiselle de montpensier her niece she says in her usual flippant style she could not sleep the doctors gave her a pill to cure her wakefulness which it did so effectually that she never woke again what would father cyprian have said could he have seen this unfeeling witticism of la grande mademoiselle as she was called on the death of her own aunt truly he would have been as severe as he was on the first physician of louis the fourteenth whom he all but calls a murderer he declares that dr below excused himself to his king by assuring him it was the disease of the chest and not his overdose of narcotic that killed queen henrietta but the indignant father continues that though valot retained his post at court yet a very few months afterwards he himself fell into a serious malady which his grains could not cure and which soon took from him his place and his life together but all the time he lived the people of the defunct queen's household cried out against him as the murderer in fact if not in intent of their royal mistress meantime a swift courier brought the royal brothers in england the news that their queen mother had expired on tuesday morning august thirty first new style sixteen sixty nine at her castle of cologne situated four leagues from paris charles the second and the duke of york received the news with great grief they immediately left their hunting in the new forest and retired to hampton court where they continued till all the morning ceremonial was completed at whitehall End of section 17.